Father in heaven, we just thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness, Lord. And we are grateful for the opportunity that we have to seek you, Lord, to put you first. And Lord, as we just dig in, we pray that you would open up our minds and that you would open up our hearts. Lord, I pray that the words uh, that I share, Lord, would be your words, Lord, and not mine. And that, Father, you would just be glorified in and through everything, Lord. So, Lord, we love you, God. We thank you. And uh, give us continuing uh, continual wisdom and insight, Lord, uh, in everything that you're telling us here. So go before us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, Revelation chapter 13. And of course, we've already been introduced to the dragon, which is Satan. We know who he is. And so let's jump right into chapter 13. And this is sort of where I wish I could teach you through the whole book of Daniel before we go through this chapter. Uh, because going through Daniel, particularly Daniel chapter 7, uh, will give you a lot of insight into understanding the, the nuances of this particular chapter. And this is sort of where it gets interesting. Okay, so let's look at chapter 13. We are in verse 1, and it says, And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. So, um, this is not a terribly difficult picture to draw out for you. I know that lots of people will read through Revelation. You know, there's a, I know a bunch of artists that tend to be a little twisted, right? So they'll go to passages like Revelation and use that as inspiration. And they draw the sea and they draw, uh, you know, this creature coming out with seven heads and ten horns and this and that and all the crowns and all that. And, and they try to sort of make it something that it's, it really isn't. And it's very difficult to sort of say what it is we're actually looking at, what it is. John is actually looking at here. But there are a couple of things that you should know uh, going into this, understanding in particular the Jewish mindset. Now, John, of course, being Jewish himself, um, and, and obviously having a bent towards a Gentile audience here in Revelation, probably not so much. Uh, in Revelation here, I think it goes to both audiences. But Understanding the ancient mindset, this isn't just Jewish, but uh, very ancient in, in many respects. This isn't just the ancient Jewish culture, this is most ancient cultures. They viewed the sea as uh, a very unstable, if you know what I mean. Now when I say unstable, I'm not saying unstable because it's all fluid and look at the waters flow and the waves and so on and so forth. When they looked at the sea, the sea, uh, the, the structure of the sea or the picture of the sea was one that was untamed. It was scary. The concept of the sea was fearful. It was a, it, the, the concept was a scary concept. It wasn't like a, it wasn't like an easy concept to be able to, to grasp, okay? It was a very, very difficult concept. The, the, the idea of it was, was uh, like, man, this is, we don't know what's in the sea. We have no idea, uh, you know, uh, being thrown in the sea was a scary thing. Most people that came from ancient cultures didn't even know how to swim. It was sort of a, a scary idea. And it was, the sea was scary. It was weird to people. You know what I mean? It was just, it was not something that they were comfortable with. So it was horrifying. Let's just put it that way. Sort of a horrifying thing. And so you take that concept and you combine it with the fact that a beast has come out with seven heads and ten horns and upon the horns, you know, the ten horns, uh, ten crowns. It must have been horrifying to John to actually see this. By the way, it is interesting. I want you to notice he's not saying dragon here, right? He's actually saying sea. Okay, we're, we're talking about sea. And so when we're talking about this, we're talking about, uh, or beast, I'm sorry, I keep saying sea, beast. And so beast is very different from dragon. Uh, it's not, uh, the, you know, Satan that we're talking about here. It's something completely different. We're looking at something completely different. Now, um, let's just jump into verse two and then we'll talk about what this beast is that he's talking about. But it says, and the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard and his feet were as the feet of a bear and his mouth as the mouth of a lion and the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. Now, um, who is this beast? Well, I think it's pretty obvious we can say who this beast is. This beast is representative of the Antichrist. Well, okay, James, how do you come to that conclusion? Well, if you go back uh, to Daniel chapter 7, and you don't have to really go there, you go through the whole book of Daniel, you will actually see a depiction of this creature, okay? And you can go and you can read concerning 
the depiction of this creature. And what we know of this creature is we know that this creature, uh, the, the, some of the depictions or the representations that we see of this creature, it is actually representing what I believe is um, later on the revived Roman Empire. Now, Daniel, when he speaks about this beast or this unknown beast, um, this was the most horrifying of them all, right? And if you look at this, this beast here, the description that we see here in Revelation 13 is sort of a... In, in one way, sort of a combination of all the beasts previously spoken about or mentioned, right? You see the leopard here mentioned. You see the bear mentioned. You see the lion mentioned, which all of those, according to Daniel, all of those creatures were actually indicative of different nations. They were indicative of different governments, right? Um, of course, if you go back to the leopard, the leopard, of course, uh, the, the, the picture of the leopard, when you talk about the picture of the bear and the picture of the lion, they all represented different... Uh, uh, different nations. One, of course, was the Babylonian Empire. One was the Medo-Persian Empire, right? And then, of course, the other one was the Grecian Empire or the Greek Empire. And so the idea here of these three empires uh, being combined with the new empire in which Daniel spoke about and what he spoke about was this Roman Empire. Now, here with this beast, that would seem to imply that there is a Roman Empire all combined together. And it would make sense because if this is talking about the Antichrist, well, we know certainly it's referring to a human person simply because of the characteristics that we're going to see described to us later on, if you understand that this is talking about a human being, then you're going to realize that it also can talk about the nation in which the human being represents, okay? And I can give you an example of this. When people spoke about Germany, World War II in Germany, they never said, let's defeat Germany. They always said, let's defeat who? Hitler, right? And so this is the same kind of concept. You've got one man who goes with the leadership of this nation. Now, it is interesting because when you look at the characteristics of these animals and you look at the uh, the kind of things that these animals did, uh, it would sort of give you some insight, some understanding, some rendering of the kind of uh, the kind of power that is entailed in this new. We're gonna I'm gonna say revised. Roman Empire that we're talking about here, okay? The leopard was uh, always spoke of the speed of which that nation it represented moved, right? There was just a very fast motion, very fast movement, right? And, and then, of course, when you get into the bear, the bear had crushing power. You know, that was sort of the idea. And it's interesting that the feet here described is, is that of the bear. It just had this massive crushing power. And then, of course, the idea of the mouth being the lion. The lion, of course, was the one that made the greatest noise that had the most power represented in its speech. And so the idea of this, of this combination of all these empires together speaks of just this insane power, right, that existed amongst this revived Roman Empire. And so this is the, the picture that we see. And it says this, it says that the dragon, of course we know this, Satan, we already spoke about the dragon, right? So Satan gave him his power and his seat and great authority. By the way, when it says gave him his power and his seat, Again, the idea here, the picture is we're talking about an individual. We think it's the Antichrist. By the way, it is interesting. You talk about seven heads, right? And then you talk about ten crowns or ten, um, ten horns, and on those horns were ten crowns. Well, of course, when you've got ten horns, that was always representative of, again, power, right? The more horns you had, the more power you had, right? And that's kind of a, uh, an interesting picture. And then um, when you've got the ten crowns on top of those horns, it would imply something very interesting. When we think the horns here on the beast, we're very likely to think, based on what we know from Daniel, that we're actually talking about ten nations, okay? We're literally talking about ten nations here. And with these ten nations, it would seem to imply we're talking about ten kings or ten rulers of these ten nations. That's where the ten crowns would seem to or appear to come from. So it looks like we're talking about this, this union of European nations. That's, that's what this would appear to be talking about, which, by the way, we know that this is happening. And, I, I, you know, I look, it's funny. When we begin to see the, the, European, the European Union begin to form, you know, when we, when we begin to see all of this begin to happen, there were a lot Lots of people saying, well, this European Union that you guys are always talking about is getting too big. There's way more than 10 nations in the European Union. And for years and years and years and years, 
what would we say? We say, oh, don't worry. Those, the number of those nations will get smaller. There will be certain nations that will withdraw from that union. There will be certain nations that will be added to that union. There will be certain nations that were uh, an individual number in that union that will actually combine to make one nation. And we're beginning to already see that right away. Remember when Brexit took place? Everyone was all, make a whole big deal. Brexit meaning, you know, Britain's exit, you know, from the European Union. And they were all, everyone was all freaked out about that whole thing. And oh my gosh, and what does this mean? And what are the implications of this? And the whole European world is going to fall apart now as a result of it has it really fallen apart no have the brits fallen apart no right but uh again it's this picture that we begin to understand there's a developing uh uh, union or conglomerate of nations that's going on here and this would seem to make sense but look what it says here in verse three it says and i saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death and his deadly wound was healed and all the world wondered after the beast and so uh basically what happened was one of the heads on this beast had a fatal wound we're not just talking about a you know a simple uh surface scratch we're just talking about we're literally talking about a an actual mortal wound the type of wound that was enough to kill him and then we see this beast beginning to be healed from that now some people say that well uh the world watches this happen to this man this 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 uh, man is going to be wounded and, and so there's this mortal wound that he recovers from and I also think it speaks of the fact that we're talking about the Roman Empire which was at one point wounded right completely gone and we're beginning to see it revived again and people want you know literally looking at that and saying oh my gosh and they're wondering at it you know they're wondering at it they're going wow you know but the idea is no matter what uh, we're talking about we're actually talking about this man being granted credibility by the Lord in the eyes of the people that are watching him and God is allowing that to happen right Satan's giving him his power. God's allowing that to take place. Very, very interesting. And we begin to see some pretty evil things take place as a result of this. Look what it says in verse 4. It says, And they worshipped the dragon which gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Now, this is interesting because when people back in the day, as a matter of fact, I even remember when 20 years ago or 25 years ago, when I was in Bible college and, and we were uh, you know, hearing guys teaching through passages like this, you know, it was such a weird idea. Even, even in 25 years ago, it was a little easier to understand. But 25 years ago, the idea of somebody worshiping Satan, that was such a weird concept. That was a concept that just didn't make sense. It was just a, a like, who were, a, come on, people worshiping Satan? That doesn't make sense until many, many years ago, Anton LaVey, he writes his, you know, Satan worship Bible, basically. When that began to take place, worshiping Satan became something that was mainstream. And now everywhere you go, you see people that are actually worshiping Satan. Some of it do it, you know, mainstream. Some of it do it kind of quietly and in the privacy of their own home. But it's becoming a lot more mainstream to the point where Satan worship is actually listed as a protected religion, believe it or not, in the United States. I mean, how insane is that? Right? I mean, well, think about it. I mean, if it's a, well, never mind. I'm not going to even get on that whole kick. But, but the idea is it's something that's a whole lot more common now. So the concept of worshiping Satan is not something that's unusual. As a matter of fact, at one point, it was actually kind of cool if you worship Satan. It was like, oh, that's a cool, you want to worship Satan? That's a cool thing to do. All right, go ahead and worship Satan. Oh, that's cool. Oh, you worship Satan. Oh, that's, well, that's unusual, you know? And, and some of these weird things. And, and you even see it. Look, you see the depiction of the worship of Satan, even in some of the music that's going on, uh, some of the craziness that, that, that that you know used to take place and, and went on in, throughout the history of, of all different genres of music, not just rock and roll, but in all kinds of different types of music, you'll see Satan inspiring it. Why? Because, well, think about it, guys. He was the first worship leader. You know, He was the one that he, he made music worshiping God in heaven. And so to see him influencing through music is not a surprise, but people worship Satan, and it's not an unusual concept. It's not as unusual of a concept as it was you know, 25, 30, 40 years ago. I remember... When I was a kid, worshiping Satan was like crazy. I mean, police officers would arrest you if they found that you were a Satan worshiper because it wasn't even considered a religious freedom. I mean, but now that's not the case. Now it's something that is just an absolute normal, this is what happens, this is how it works, this is the way it goes type thing, and people just accept it, and, and it's, it's sort of a mainstream kind of a concept now, which is very, very sad. And so not only do they worship Satan, but they worship the beast. They worship the Antichrist because the Antichrist has all this power. They think, ooh, la, la, he's a winner. Wow, this is amazing. You know, let's worship him. And so they both uh, join in. The world joins to worship both of them, right? Look at this in verse 5. It says, 
And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies and power was given unto him to continue 40 and two months. So the Antichrist was given this, uh, given this platform to be able to speak great things. And this, you know, this three and a half years keeps coming up, right? These three and a half year periods. They keep coming up. And so he's given this ability to speak for this three and a half years and people are listening and they're, you know, and, and they're obviously they're giving heed to him. They're like, man, the guy's a winner. He's got his act together. Why wouldn't we listen to him? He, you know, he really knows what he's doing. And, and look, this is not also, again, this is not an unusual concept for us to put our faith and hope in people, right? We as a nation have learned to put our faith and hope in people, which is why certain characteristics in people have become so polarizing across this country, right? There are some people that forget, for example, you take our current president. There are some people that hate his guts and they can't stand them. And, and that's because they feel threatened. They feel that their American way of life is being threatened by this president, right? And then there are some people that worship the ground that he walks on because they feel like their American way of life is about to be enhanced because of this president, right? And there's people on both sides of this fence who believe about it completely with great uh, there is a, a, I don't know what you want to call it, there is just this, there is this great intensity about their beliefs on both sides, even Christians on both sides of this that believe both ways. Well, James, what do you believe? Well, I believe there's no hope in anybody unless that hope is Jesus Christ, right? So you're not going to find hope in President Trump, you're certainly not going to find hope in Obama, you're not going to find hope in Lincoln, and you're not going to find hope in Washington, the only person you're ever going to find hope in is who? Is Jesus Christ. He's the one we need to worship. He's the one we need to look, at, look to because like this antichrist, right? You worship a man, that man is eventually going to fail you, right? And just like this antichrist, you worship him, he's going to fail you. Even when it looks good, even when it looks like, oh man, things are going good. No, nope, you're going to get failed. Why? Because they're men and they're not God. And we need to learn to look to the Lord. So people are going to love him. And we know how, how this worked out. For the first three and a half years, people, man, oh, they loved him. He's a smooth talker. He's great. In the middle of that three and a half years, right when that three, or sorry, when that, in the middle of the, of the seven-year tribulation period, things are going to change, and they're going to change dramatically, as we're about to find out. Look what it goes on to say. You guys following me so far with all of this? Is this making sense? All right, good, 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 good. Hopefully it's an easy thing to grasp for you. I hope I'm making it easy for you, right? If I'm, if I'm being a good Bible teacher, I'm doing my job, you're going to be able to grasp this, take this home and be able to own it. That's my desire for you, okay? So let's go on. Let's look at this. It says, and he opened his mouth, notice this, in blasphemy against God to blaspheme what? His name, right? And his tabernacle, and them that dwell in heaven. So who is he blaspheming? Okay, well, of course, he's blaspheming God himself, right? He's, he's getting bold enough to curse God. And there's lots of people that do blaspheme God today. It's not like an unusual thing. We see lots of people that are actually doing it, right? And then they're actually blaspheming his abode, right? We know that. And then they're blaspheming those that are in heaven. Who's that talking? He's talking about us. Oh, those people that got raptured, you know, whoever those people, I got to, oh yeah, and he's just going to be cursing and blaspheming them. That's what the Antichrist is going to be doing. And so this is something that is part of his tactic. He's going to, he's going to do that. By the way, let me just tell you, blaspheme tactics tend to work pretty well, don't they? You just find a specific way to sort of coin a way to address somebody in a negative way. And those sorts of things become part of popular culture if you do it correctly, right? I'll give you an example. There are certain things that this president has done. And by the way, he, for whatever you could, whatever you want to think of him, he is a master at branding, isn't he? He is a master at being able to, to literally put a label on something and that label would stick. When you think the name Hillary, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Crooked. Why? You might not think she's crooked, but because Donald Trump says it all the time and it's being said on a regular basis, you think crooked Hillary, crooked Hillary, crooked Hillary, right? When you think news, what do you think? Fake. Everybody knows that. Fake news. That's fake news. As a matter of fact, it's become a pop culture term, right? Someone comes up to you and says something that isn't accurate. You go, ah, fake news, fake news, right? They even have little emojis now that are holding signs that say fake news, yo. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's everywhere. And so it's becoming a, a normal part of culture. Why? Because that man, whether or not you want to admit it or whether or not you want to like it, is so brilliant in his ability to be able to master things in that context that he is literally able to get things in people's minds and hearts for the rest of their life concerning certain things. And he will brand things in a particular way where people will look, will look and just, blah, blah. you can even be the bad guy. You can even be the guy that hates him, you know, the bad guy to him. You can be the person that just hates his guts. You know, I'm not 
calling you a bad guy if you hate him, right? You could, you could be that person and truth be told, he'll still have an influence on you. You'll still remember phrases like fake news and crooked Hillary and the rocket man. Who's the rocket man? Everybody know who the rocket man is, right? From now on, anybody, anybody, anytime anyone says rocket man, I think of the little guy in North Korea. You know, because he coined that phrase, you know, and even when he does these speeches, he doesn't, he doesn't even apologize. He goes, yeah, the little rocket man better watch out because we're going to get that little rocket man, you know, and now everybody calls him the rocket man. I forgot his name practically. You know what I'm talking about? Well, here's the thing. It's not that I'm associating the Antichrist with our president. Please don't think that that's what I'm doing, but I'm giving you an example of how this works. This Antichrist is going to be so good at being able to brand things that way. He's going to be so good at being able, I mean, think about this guys do you understand that the whole nation of germ the whole world the german world when they followed hitler they didn't follow hitler because they were scared of what hitler would do to them if the whole nation just turned on hitler hitler wouldn't have a platform to be able to walk on right they followed him because they genuinely thought that he was good for the country they didn't realize the concentration camps that were going for a long time. They didn't realize all the things that were going on. They actually were, were, that man was a brilliant orator. He was phenomenal. He was incredible, right? And brilliant. There's certain things you cannot take away from some of the people that we've had as United States presidents, right? You look at Bill Clinton. I don't care what you say about Bill Clinton. I wasn't somebody that particularly agreed with him on a whole lot of levels, but I can tell you this. He was an amazing communicator. He was a brilliant order. Ronald Reagan was the same way. Ronald Reagan can get up there and just wing it. And he could just blow people's minds in the way he communicated, right? You want to know somebody who was a brilliant order, who was, who was our president at one point? How about Barack Obama? You can say what you might say about him. A lot of the, I, most things that he came up with, I didn't agree with, right? But that guy could, uh, there's no way in the world you would hear that guy speak and not like him. He could say everything you disagree with and they'll still think, uh, I'd sure like to have a cup of coffee with that guy, right? Hopefully you're not thinking, I'd sure like to have a beer with that guy, you know. But, but he was one of those guys that like you just, you liked him, right? Because here's the idea. Words have power in them, don't they? Presentation, the way you speak, it can really, it can really make a difference in what people are listening to and in how they listen to things and how they communicate. Communication is so distinctly important. So this Antichrist, you know, he could be saying horrible things, but people are going to probably be listening, going, oh yeah, those Christians, good thing the Mother Earth ejected them, you know. And there's people that are already thinking that way. People are already thinking that eventually the Earth, and they associate it with the whole karma thing and the pantheistic thinking. And so they're already, there's already a whole doctrine of thinking, a whole line of thinking going around amongst these sort of new age philosophers that are saying that the world is going to eject all of the garbage that's providing negativity. And can you imagine? That's exactly the platform they're going to to stand on when God raptures his church. Look at the mother earth that just rejected all the bad influences and that sort of, and, and people are going to believe that. They're going to believe that mess because this antichrist is going to have this great power that's given him by Satan to run his mouth and to say the things that he goes on to say. I mean, you want to talk about unbelievable when you think about this beast having this ability. Look what it goes on to say. It says, and it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. By the way, when he says to make war with the saints, he's certainly not talking about us. We're in heaven, right? So he cannot be talking about us here. When he says the saints, he's probably talking about two people groups. More than likely, I think it's not the tribulation saints that we talk about that are the non-Jews. I actually think it's the Jews that become saints here. That's what I think he's talking about. I think that that he's talking about tribulation saints that happen to be the Jews and he's going to contend with the Jews and there's a possibility it could not be the Jews specifically that he's talking about but either way he's talking about those who choose to make a commitment to Christ during the tribulation there's no way that this could be referring to us by the way it is interesting when you think about this um, when it talks about all tribes you know all all backgrounds colors that kind of thing when we see that kind of overall kindred sorry tongues and nations uh, this was the same description that was being used of uh, tribulation saints prior in previous chapters here in revelation so it would be consistent with what we've read before very interesting stuff look at this in verse 8 it says and all that dwell upon the earth, notice this, shall worship him whose names, notice this, are not written in the life or in the book of life 
of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So for any of those people that are not believers, they're going to be falling down, they're going to be bowing down, and they're going to worship him. And that's kind of the idea. And, and that's how you're going to know. You see somebody, you know, if you can hear this recording and you are living in the tribulation right now, whatever you do, do not worship this guy. Because if you worship this guy, that means you're not written in the book of life. And ooh, you're in trouble. Right? And so remember that. And that's the concept here. Those that were worshiping, you'll know. Uh, and by the way, it is interesting. It would seem to make sense that the whole world would worship this guy. Uh, it, very likely, he uh, probably demands to be worshiped as such, as we're actually going to find out. We're going to find out that he does demand to be worshiped as such. And it would make sense because if you remember the old Roman Empire, right? The Roman Empire that came after the Grecian Empire. And if you want to always wonder the order in which these empires came, just think of it this way, right? Think Think of Daniel. Just start, look at the book of Daniel. You've got the Babylonian Empire. You've got the Medes and the Persians, right? So the Medo-Persian Empire. Then the Greek Grecian Empire came after them. After the Greeks, then came the Romans, right? And the Greeks, of course, had a heavy influence upon the Romans. And now that we're talking about the revised Roman Empire, we're going to see a lot of similarities between old Rome and the revised Rome. And in old Rome, if you remember, Caesar, the one who was the leader of Rome, he was the, he was the known leader of Rome at that time. He also demanded to be worshipped as God. And if you did not worship Caesar as God, you would be dejected. You literally, they would remove you, your, your citizenship. And you could actually, that was something that would be a crucifiable offense. That'd be something that they'd kill you for, for not worshiping him as God. So it would make sense that everybody in this revised Roman empire would actually worship this, this person as God. It makes total sense. It makes perfect sense that it would actually work this way. But then there's an exhortation that John rings out. And I think it rings out from words that he's heard from Jesus before. And he says this, he says, if any man have a ear, let him hear. In other words, if you have the ability of hearing, it's time to listen, pay attention. We're in a world today, by the way, where things get said to us and we don't listen. You know what I mean when I say that, right? That's the way it is sometimes when I'm reading, if I'm reading, someone could say 15 things to me and I'm not hearing any of it, right? Or if I'm paying attention, so there are times where I'll talk to somebody and I'm listening to a conversation down the row and that conversation is getting interesting and pretty soon my all my focus and all my energy and efforts on that conversation and then I didn't hear anything the person told me to the left, right? How about that? How about the fact that sometimes we have this built-in mechanism within us where somebody starts saying things we don't like, we just turn them off. We don't even listen. Once they say something that bothers us, we don't listen to anything else they say for the rest of the conversation. Everything is viewed as hostile terminology, and that's sort of the way it is. Well, what John is saying is he's saying, make an extenuated effort to hear that which you are, or to listen to that which you are hearing. In other words, if you have an ear, you better listen to what I'm saying. Take it in. Internalize it. Do not forget what I'm about to tell you. Do Listen to everything that I'm saying. Look what it says in verse 10. It says, he that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. Notice this. And he that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and and the faith of the saints. And so the idea is, is he says, if you are going to make, in in essence, let me give you a translation of what he's saying. He's saying, if you are going to choose not to worship the beast, you are going to be arrested and you are going to be killed. That is going to be the result. And you better be willing to accept that. You just better be willing to, so he's not saying here, fight the power. He's not saying that. He's not saying resist. He's not saying run. He's saying, just be prepared to accept the consequences. Be ready to accept the consequences of worshiping God and not worshiping Satan. Listen, if you are here and you don't know the Lord or you haven't made a commitment to the Lord, please, if you have an ear, listen to me, you better come to know the Lord today. Because you do not want to be in a situation where you have to live through this time period. If you're in a situation where you have to live through this time period, you might not make it. I'm telling you that right now. You're very likely not going to make it. And what stinks is you're going to be tortured the whole way through. Because let's say you capitulate to the demands of Satan. And let's say you capitulate to the demands of the Antichrist. And you worship the Antichrist as he demands to be worshipped. Wait until that last three and a half years when God just opens up the nastiest can of ugly judgment in the world. And begins to spank the whole earth. And third, a whole third of the human race dies. the, The human race dies in chunks of thirds. And things begin to blow up and, you know, I mean, just, it's not, you, listen to me, you do not want to live in that environment. I promise you, you don't. 
you don't want to see that or experience that. That is not going to prove to be a pleasant situation. And it says this, it says in verse 11, it says, and I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth and he had two horns like a lamb and he spoke as a dragon. Now this is interesting. He's not coming out of the sea, so it's not as terrifying, right? And of course he only has two horns, so it doesn't seem to be as powerful, but nonetheless, he's still a, ref- a formidable creature, right? And this beast is coming out of the earth, not the sea, seems to be a smaller of the beast. Notice what it goes on to say. It says, and he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him and causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. So who might this person be? Well, if you remember, we had two witnesses that come aboard, right? And those two faithful witnesses preach the gospel. They're wounded by the Antichrist. They've done this great thing. Well, you know how the enemy works, guys. You know that, right? When you have the truth, when you have the positive, when you have the light that comes around, the enemy likes to do what? He likes to bring in the fake, doesn't he? And he's good at doing it. So it would appear as though this beast would be the false prophet. That's the, the false prophet that's spoken about. By the way, it is interesting. I want you to consider something here for a second. You might very well be able to understand this tactic of the enemy by just simply the, dealing with the things that you face in your personal life on a day-to-day basis. You think about this. Anytime you hear something that is true, anytime something is spoken to you, That is true. You hear something truthful. Oftentimes that truth is met with what? It's met with a lie, isn't it? You know good things are happening and all of a sudden you've got a voice inside of your head that says bad things are happening, right? You women will understand this. You'll admit this if, if, if I, you know, were to come right down to it, right? Some of you are married to the most amazing husbands in the world. Some of you have great husbands, right? That are faithful and are doing good things. But sometimes that thought goes into your head and says, he's not faithful to you. He doesn't love you. He can't stand you, right? Now you know what's true. You know that he loves you. You know that he's faithful to you. You know that he cares about you. But the enemy is so good at getting in your ear and telling you something different. Men are the same way, right? Some of you have beautiful, beautiful wives. And you think, look at how beautiful they are. No way other men aren't flirting with them. No way they aren't leading. They're not listening and they're doing this. and they're doing. There's death. Of course that's happening. No, it's not. The enemy's lying to you. He's lying to you. He's telling you something that isn't true and you're believing a lie, right? Because that's what he wants to do. When the real thing comes across, he likes to bring the fake because the fake, oftentimes when people capitulate to the voice of the fake, then what, what, what tends to take place is that voice becomes the predominant voice. People listen to that voice. They adhere to that voice. And when they listen to that voice, they adhere to that voice. There's where they get ripped off, right? This false prophet that's coming on the scene that's what he is gifted to do. He's very, very good. And he's, and he, he's pointing at the fact that look at this guy. He was healed and, you know, he was wounded before. And now he's healed. And look at the revised empire. And look at how great things are. And this guy is like kind of leading them. But I want you to notice this. Look what it says in verse 13. And this, this will go down. This will go to speak, uh, exactly to what I'm talking about here. Look what it says in verse 13. It says, and he doeth great wonders so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. Did you notice something? Did you notice that he was gifted to be able to do a miracle that one of the greatest prophets alive was able to do? Right? Who I believe was going to be one of the two prophets. Right? The false is being given the same gift to do what? To counteract that which is real. Kind of interesting. By the way, I don't have to, there's no assumption here. There's no me assuming anything by making this statement to you. Why? Look at what the next verse says. Look what it says in verse 14. It says, and deceiveth them, notice this, that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles. What kind of miracles? Calling down fire, right? Which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on earth that they should make an image to the beast which he uh, had the wound by a sword and did live pretty heavy pretty heavy this false prophet is using these fake powers these satanic powers to deceive people the real happens then the enemy does what he brings in the fake it always works that way isn't it 
and this spokesman. And isn't it funny? You've got the real guys. You've got the true witnesses, the, the true prophets that are speaking on behalf of the Lord. And then what do you have to have? You have to have the false prophet to counteract that truth, right? Right? Don't you think that's pretty amazing when you, when you think about it? You have these guys that are killed in the streets. You know, and then they, they rise, the Lord rises them up after several days laying in the streets. I mean, think about that. There has to be a voice. There has to be a person in Satan's mind to counteract all that mess, right? And that is what we're talking about here. Look at this. This is interesting. It says in verse 15, it says, and he had power to give life unto the image of the beast that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that many would not worship the image of the beast uh, should be killed. So any of you that don't worship this image, you are going to be killed. If you don't worship this image, if you don't follow uh, even the very image of this beast, you'll be killed. By the way, this is interesting because this very much parallels what the Caesars would do back in the day, right? Caesar would demand that he would be worshipped and oftentimes would demand that he would be worshipped by people worshipping his statue or his making in whatever city that they uh, chose to put that in. If you didn't worship that statue, you would be killed. And that was so very, very common similarity here that we see in the revived Roman Empire, right? And it would make sense that this statue would have some sort of animation because the people of this world today have enough sophistication to say, no, I'm not going to worship some stupid, you know, stone or some stupid piece of metal. But when that stone or piece of metal is capable of animating itself and beginning to to speak, then, well, there's some deception involved there. And what are people going to do? They're going to go, oh my gosh, trip out. I've never seen anything like it, right? And so they're going to worship it. And yet uh, people that don't worship, they are going to die. Look, look what it says. And it says, and he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. And that no man might buy or sell, save that he had the mark of or the same or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of man, and his number is six hundred three score and six. So six 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 is the number. Now this is the description here that we're going to get, and the, and the description is that people are not going to be able to buy or sell without this mark. Now people would say, okay, James, well these microchips that are being injected in people, is this the mark of the beast? You know, and and people say that, and and my answer to them is always this: No, the mark of the beast is going to be a physical manifestation that takes place on the on the on the hand or on the forehand or on the head, right? We know that this is not a a terribly difficult thing. I mean, look what it says. It says on their right hand or in their foreheads, right? I always say forehand. I don't know why I do that, but forehead, right? On the forehead or their right hand. Now, this is kind of interesting because uh, as going back to this whole idea of the the microchips, the mark of the beast and so on and so forth. Well, uh, let me explain how this works. Okay, this is what I think. It's a theory, and I'm making an assumption, but this is a possibility. But I think it would work somewhat this way. Because if you notice, it says no one, nobody would even be able to buy or sell anything without having this mark, right? So it would seem to insinuate that there is a cashless society, that you know, no one's walking around with cash. It, it could mean that people... Uh, uh, are able well people will attempt to buy things but they're not going to be able to do it because if they don't have this marking on them they're going to be incapable of doing it now let's talk about this for a second i think what could this is one possibility i don't know if it's true i mean i don't know if this is how it will manifest but i think one possibility the way it'll work is people would say you know what there's too many thefts going on right now of people's uh, credit cards and people's personal information and there's just too much of that going on so here's what we're going to do we are going to inject a little microchip inside your body. And people have microchips in their bodies like tons of people have them now, right? All over. And they're, they're injected subcutaneously, right? And it stays within their skin. And what, this, what these little things do is they, they have all kinds of data. They've got your medical data. They've got your drug interactions. They've got all that stuff. And people scan it. Even uh, paramedics now have these little machines that they keep with them that scan this kind of stuff. This is not an uncommon picture. Right? This is not something that is, is, is uncommon anymore. Right? When they inject these chips in dogs, there's only a few places that they're allowed to inject these chips. So someone can take their scanner, run it across wherever their ear is, you know, or I think it's some other place. But this is how it works. My own dog is, is a Satan worshiper because he's got a little chip in him. You know what I'm saying? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, we'll never let him take the mark. You know? But here's the idea with this. 
What I think is going to happen is I think it's going to be, and I could be wrong, this is assumption, so please don't take this as law, please don't take this as dogmatic. But I think it's going to get to the point in this society where there's so much theft, there's so much lying, there's so much cheating, there's so much stealing, there's so much all kinds of craziness going on, identity theft and fraud and all that, that people are going to start saying, you can't get a driver's license, you can't do anything unless you do it via the chip. And so what they'll do is they'll inject a little tiny chip inside of you, and then people will say, well, okay, well, they've got the chip now. How will, how will we know where the chip is located? There's only two places they could put the chip. They can put it on their forehead or their right arm. Right? They wouldn't want to put it on their left arm because of the obvious implications with the circulatory system with the heart. And if you don't have a medical background, go look that up. It's kind of an interesting picture. That's why when you have a heart attack, your left arm starts hurting as opposed to your right one. Right? So maybe they're going to put this microchip on the right side. Maybe they're going to put it in the forehead. And then basically, based on the location, you're going to have to put this marking on your hand. And so that marking will literally be 666. So everybody's going to go, well, you know what? That's a cool idea. The early adapters of this that don't know the Lord. Oh, this is a great idea. I don't have to ever carry a wallet again. I don't have to carry a picture ID. All I got to do is stick my forehead somewhere or, you know, put my right hand somewhere and it's going to be all good. And people are going to get that chip inside of them and and it's not going to necessarily be the chip. You know what it's going to be? It's going to be the mark that gets put on their hand. That's going to be the issue. By the way, there's all kinds of people that have mechanical type chip items within them. There's a, there's a one particular camera that they've developed in Israel. This camera is unbelievable, you guys. It is super cool. You remember the days of colonoscopies? Those days are gone. Those days are history. You know, there's this camera that they've developed, and the way that this camera works is you swallow it. It's a little tiny, this is no joke, you guys, it's a little tiny pill. The pill is smaller than a typical Advil gel cap. You swallow this pill, and this little camera goes through your whole circulatory system, right? It goes through, not your circulatory, it goes through your, 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 yeah, your GI, basically. Your gastrointestinal intestinal system. It goes all through that, and it, it takes hundreds of thousands of little photographs of everything that it sees. It's designed to rock and tumble in your colon. It goes all throughout, right? All throughout. The small intestine, the large intestine, it goes all throughout in your stomach and everything. The asses in your stomach can't touch it, whatever. And it photographs everything. And there's all kinds of data that it collects, including shows the doctors the path that it takes and how it takes the path. It'll find constipation. Uh, the timer will start from the time you swallow it till the time it comes out of you. And if it, if it takes a way long time, they know oh, there's constipation going on. Something serious is going on. There's an obstruction. It's crazy. And it's actually right now, if you want to get examined that way, I think insurance companies are, 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 are having to pay like 50K for that one examination. Some crazy thing like that, right? Before you know it, it's going to be something you buy over the counter. Technology is changing. It's changing tremendously. So the idea that something like this could happen is is a, a very, very, uh, it's an understandable concept. We have a brother at the church who just got a, a little pacemaker put inside of him. And the way this pacemaker works is crazy. I mean, this thing, if something goes on with his heartbeat, it's an irregular heartbeat, you know what will happen? It will, it will literally correct it. It'll shock him and correct it right there on the spot. And then it'll give an alarm. Beep, 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 beep. So he told me, he goes, Amen. If this alarm goes off in church, just know it's not, I, I, it's just my chest. You know what I mean? So don't worry. Everything's okay. No, it's not okay. You know, if it's beeping, we got to call the medics. And the funny thing is they call the medics. They, they scan that thing. They can shut it. They're the ones that can shut it down. They get the data in terms of what, what just happened with the heart. It gives the reading as to what happened. Hey, it beat it this way. It did this wrong. It did that wrong. This kind of happened. I mean, could you imagine? And the, the technology is so unbelievably insane. They've even got these things down that they're literally injecting down the throats of people that are wanting to lose weight. These little, they start as little tiny chips, and what they do is they expand in the stomach. They're still pretty dangerous. They cut open a few guys' stomachs accidentally doing this, so they haven't really learned the technology yet. But they expand at these massive rates to keep people from eating lots of food. They get full very, very quickly, right? There's hope for guys like, you know, I'm just kidding. No. 
But, but you get the picture how, how radically technology is changing. And I could go on and on and on and on and tell you story after story after story after story of some of the things that they're doing within technology. I mean, you guys, look, how many of you guys have ever heard of Apple Pay? Guess what Apple Pay is, right? Okay, a lot of you guys. How many of you use Apple Pay? Anybody use Apple Pay? Okay, a few of you in the church. Okay, you're worshiping Satan. No, I'm just kidding. No, 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 no. No, I use Apple Pay. As a matter of fact, I'm trying to figure out why it doesn't work at McDonald's. But anyway, um, let me tell you how Apple Pay works. You guys may or may not know this, but it stores your credit card information in a microchip that is so heavily encrypted that most supercomputers out there would not be able to solve it without making calculations for the next 200 years. It's that cool. By the way, old technology. Okay? Let me tell you what's not so old. It literally in the course of a microsecond, in the course of, let's just say, even go crazy and say in the course of one second or two seconds, when you put your watch in front of the scanner or you put your phone in front of the scanner and it takes that information, do you know it's not actually taking your actual credit card information? You know what it's doing? The, the Apple Pay mechanism is taking the credit card information and under an agreement with the bank and MasterCard or Visa, whoever it is that you're using, they literally take your credit card information and from that information, they create a whole new credit card. So your actual credit card number isn't being used. And it's not like they're giving you a fake credit card number that can only be used one time. No, it's an absolutely new credit card that gets tied to that transaction forever. So that if credit card fraud takes place, you're not the victim of that fraud anymore. They can't pull any more money out of the bank. Someone gets, someone takes that credit card number, that credit card number can no longer be used or can no, uh, can no longer pull anything out of your account. It will work with other people if they're able to get it, if they're sophisticated enough to be able to get it. But guess what? Every single dime of that's going to get tracked. Every place it goes, it's going to get tracked because it's a bug. It's literally, it's designed to find out who the robbers are and what's going on and who the thieves are. It's that cool. And you know what they're talking about in terms of Apple Pay technology? They're actually talking about, eventually talking about putting that kind of technology in things like rings and in jewelry. They're talking about eventually doing what? Putting it subcutaneously within you. Because it doesn't take a whole lot to do, does it? That's how rapidly technology is changing. That's how fast technology is changing. I never thought in a million years that I could see an airplane fly right above me. It had to be a commercial jet. And then hold down the home button on my iPhone and ask Siri what flight is above me. You can do that. You know what happened? It'll show the airliner. It'll show the latitude and longitude and the location of the airliner. It will show, in some cases, the pilot information. That is how significant technology has changed. How about this? We talk about these little remote control uh, helicopters that I fly. Let me explain something to you. They're not toys. I've told you that before. You can kill somebody with it. That's why they're regulated by the Federal Aviation Administration. That's why you have to follow FAA rules and guidelines. That's why you literally have to, in some cases, become a full-pledged pilot, which I'm one test away for, so pray anyway. (laughs) But here's the idea. With these these little types of things, Do you know that every single movement with your thumb, every single place that helicopter goes, the speed, the height, the elevation, the altitude, location, it records everything. It literally has a little tiny black box inside of it. That black box gets transmitted to your transmitter and from your transmitter it goes into the cloud. You can literally store it online and recreate your flights. No no exaggeration, no lie. That's how much technology has changed. That's how significant technology has changed. I could go, I could go on and on and on and tell you how crazy it is. I can tell you how easy it's become nowadays. I can tell you how little of a problem it is to do the types of things that even five years ago or two years ago would have been considered completely impossible. People say all the time, well, James, I just choose not to, to do my bank online and I just choose to do everything by paper. Okay, well, in other words, you choose to be frauded, basically. You choose to be ripped off because the, un, the most unsafe way to do anything now is by paper. Why? Because someone could take your paper and conceivably you would never be able to track them if they took your paper, right? Someone takes your stuff electronically, you can track them to the very second where they took it. It'll take a little bit of time, but you can do it. 
My point is technology has changed so fundamentally and so rapidly that people will not have a hard time doing this. That's what I'm trying to explain to you guys. They're not going to have a hard time saying, I'll take a mark, no big deal. It's no, and you know, can you imagine how that'll be? I mean, some of people say, oh, well, I want mine to look this way. So they put a little circle around there, you know, they, they get all kinds of, you know, tats on there, you know, they, just something, you know, to, to sort of make it look kind of cool and trendy. Come to my tattoo parlor, make your mark of the beast look a little different. You know? I mean, that's literally what's going to happen, right? People that get it on their forehead, you know, they get it right here. I mean, come on. It's not like it's going to be some gangster tattoo or something. It's probably going to look really pretty or handsome, depending on who you are. But, but the point is, the point, the idea that we're beginning to sort of fill it with and play with and understand and realize and, and, and know is that this is all within the realm of reality. What we're reading here in the Bible, the things that we're, that we're reading concerning, guys, these are all things that could be, literally, they could happen today. Right now, we have all the technology in place to, for it to happen today. Do you know, by the way, that there are microchips that are so small that they can be injected through a hypodermic needle? Did you know that? That's no joke. And contain, ready for this? They contain more data in them than the computers did that controlled Apollo 11 when it landed on the moon. How about that? How about the fact that your telephone has 15 to 150 times the power of all of NASA's computers during Apollo 11? How about that for a perspective, right? How about that? I remember... When back in the day they said it was an amazing, I mean, you, you had to be, you had to have millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars to have 500K of memory, right? Okay? Your pictures that you take of somebody today have more than, take up more than 500K of memory. They take up four or five, sometimes ten times as much as that. And in some cases, a hundred times as much as that. You have probably very likely watched more videos online on your phone. If you've watched Instagram or Facebook or wherever the so Snapchat, whatever it is that you're watching, you probably have taken up easily more than a hundred times that amount today in the data that you're looking at. That is the wonder of the technology and how it's being manipulated and how it's being changed. It has changed so dramatically. It has changed so rapidly. It is unbelievable. It is unbelievable. It's unbelievable how quickly it's changing. So if you think that this kind of thing is outside of the realm of possibility, look, I got news for you. It's already here. It's already here. I've gone to many churches who have asked me to go because of my background in technology, in, in my background and expertise in technology, and have explained this to them. And, and I got to tell you, I got to tell you, it is so close. Listen, we're there, guys. The Lord can come. He could come to, to he could come right now. And everything would be in place for all of this to happen. Now, what's the, the, the summary of this? Well, if you're listening to this recording right now and, and many, many years have gone by and you find yourself in the tribulation and we're all gone, you've been left behind. No, I'm just kidding. No, no, no. <laughs> Mike edit that part. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. You don't have to edit it. But I can tell you this. I can tell you this. Don't accept the mark of the beast. Don't worship do not worship the beast. Do not accept that mark because you will die. You will die. Encouragement for you guys is you're going to be gone. You're not going to experience any of that mess, right? It's not going to be here. I think by the grace of God, amazing things, amazing, amazing, amazing things are going to happen during this era as we lead up to this. And you're going to get to see that. And even more amazing things are going to happen when we're taken up by the Lord. We got exciting things. So it's, we got a lot to look forward to. God is good and there's a lot that he wants to do. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your word and thank you for the saints that are gathered tonight, Lord. This is good stuff. Great material. Lots of encouraging things, you know, to know when we look at the fact that we learn so much in our practical everyday living going through a book like this. May we be excited, Lord, about your word. May we just seek to do that which glorifies you in all things, Lord. We love you, Father. We thank you. We pray that you would just go before us, fill us with your spirit, Lord. Keep us looking to you now, Lord. We love you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.